There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on BatteryPower.com, where I've been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015. Joining me as often, and really basically every week at this point, is my good buddy. You can follow him over on Twitter at BravesMILB, my longtime colleague at the Battery Power. Uh, for a while there, it was just he and I doing the minor league recaps. Garrett Spain, how are you, my friend? I am good. Definitely a whole lot better than it, when it was just the two of us. Yeah, those were um, those were dark times. Uh, I, we we certainly didn't take it for granted, and we 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 took a lot of joy from the times where it was you and I just do, doing all the recaps together. But I have to say, it is a lot nicer these days, and we have we have we have multiples of us on recaps. Plus, you know, I mean, like Rob has had to take a step back, obviously. Uh, because of his day job, but you know, if worse came to worse, he could always jump in and help out. And you know, like having this, the, the the staff around, as opposed to those early days where it was really just all together, maybe four or five of us all together writing anything, right? So it's nice to kind of have that backup and to not feel like you know you're dreading every other day because you're on recap duty. So it is definitely nice these days to have a, both a lot of varied voices. Uh, allows us to kind of get more eyes across the across the minor leagues to actually kind of be able to gather more information, but also just the workload, just being able to divide that up. Uh, but I will say, you know, the part of me does. I do remember those days fondly. I guess is the best way I should describe it. Uh, which brings us to the episode this week. As promised, normally what we do on this podcast is we go level by level from AAA down to low A, and we just review what's been going on in the minor leagues. Now, one last week wasn't a particularly fun week. I think it's safe to say, Garrett, that uh, we, in terms of uh, reviewing what's going on in the minor leagues, uh, certainly some interesting things happened, and there was definitely some good performances, but it wasn't the most fun week in terms of going back, and we wanted to take an opportunity anyway to make sure that we had a chance to answer some listener questions and maybe spend a little bit more time on some topics that you guys are interested in. So we did a call out on Twitter. Uh, we have a nice smattering of questions here. Uh, there certainly there's uh, some uh, some uh, specific themes that seem to be recurring over and over again uh, in these questions, but at the same time, a lot of topics that we can talk about. And so we are going to do – this is just going to be a mailbag episode. I said so, – Suspect that this will be a little bit shorter of an episode, uh, just based on what kind of, like, what, what kinds of questions these are. I don't think we're going to be spending 20 minutes on any one of these or anything like that. So, uh, we will take a break in the middle and then we'll let you guys go. But we did want to make a chance, take a chance to take some listener questions. And if you ever want to make sure that you, we, just make sure you're following Garrett or myself when we do these mailbag episodes we always put the call out on twitter and you can just respond to any one of those statuses we just kind of gather those all up uh, i do apologize that i did not gather the names of the people asking the questions we were just trying to get this together and you know sometimes it gets kind of a little bogged down as to who who asked what and then you know, it's, it's a lot easier just to kind of copy and then paste without formatting into a google doc so that way we can kind of gather all this information up 
So, Garrett, the first question, I believe, is a, a – there was a bit of a typo, but I did want to make sure this gives us an opportunity to talk about two different players, players at the same time. Uh, the question was, do you think they will develop Smith Schauffer as a, two, a two-way player for the long term, or could he pitch his way out of spending time in the field hitting? Now, I'm reasonably certain that they meant Spencer Schwellenbach here. Uh, because we have no indication whatsoever that AJ Smith Chopper is going to ever be a position player. So in Swallowbox's case, he was a he was a, a two way player in college. So I will let you first have the opportunity to talk about AJ Smith Chopper, what you've liked from what, from him recently. Uh, then talk about why he's going to be a pitcher, and then we can talk a little bit more about Swallowbox. So uh, the the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, I mean Smith Chopper has been fantastic lately. I mean he's. You can see development going on in his first full pro season. You know, this week he pitched two times in a week for the first time and he did well. And this week was actually a really good sign because, you know, in the past he would kind of get to a point where the command would get away from him and he would struggle. Well, this week the command kind of got away from him early and he was able to get it back and finish the start strong. And that was something that we have not seen him do yet. So that was kind of good seeing him kind of have a resilient start maybe not necessarily have his best command early and still fight through it. I mean, overall, he's definitely been one of the more impressive players in the system so far, just in terms of, you know, as a teenager, he's one of the top strikeout arms in the in the, all of minor league baseball so far. He's shown three pitches, you know, occasionally the command of, especially the secondaries can get away from him, but when he's commanding all three pitches, he has all the makings of a starter, and it's just about that command. Um Long term, I, I've loved what I've seen of him, and I think that he's well ahead of where we were expecting him to be. Now, as, as for Schwellenbach, what are your kind of thoughts about? I mean, is he ever going to be developed as a two-way player? I think we, we are pretty clearly on the what the the answer is here, but I kind of want to get that out there. Yeah, it seems like it's just going to be developing him, developing him as a pitcher, and I think especially coming off of an injury, kind of. Uh, speeds up even the idea of it it's like well now all of a sudden you have to make up for lost time with a major injury so they're definitely gonna go you know they drafted him as a pitcher that's what they were intrigued by with him and I think that's that's definitely what they're gonna do that's what the plan is yeah uh first I am I'm with you on Smith Shopper I think he's been really really good the, the command has been getting better later in starts it's not great yet I wouldn't say like you know he's not like a guy who's like a lock to like be like pitching well you know, throwing strikes in the, you know, fifth, sixth inning, you know, consistently, but you see improvement. And, you know, when the, the type of move he gets on his fastball and when he's commanding his breaking stuff, he's really, really tough on these low A guys. I don't expect him to be a fast riser, at least this year. I think he's going to be working through a lot of stuff this year, but I wouldn't be shocked if he was one of those guys next year where he comes in like he's like, you know, gotten a lot, gotten all that experience under his belt, you know, ha- works on things in the offseason and comes out and is like, could end up being one of the best pitching prospects in the entire system. Now, in Schwellenbach's case, and we have another Schwellenbach question later on down the yeah later on down the 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 dock here. So I don't want to necessarily dwell too much here. I think there's almost no chance that he's developed he's going to be developed as a two way player. Um, I'll never say never because he is kind of he does have that experience as a as an offensive player. But I think that the idea is that that what they drafted him for in the second round is not to be a a, a Basically a shortstop that doesn't have very much power and then as a relief pitcher. I think that they're, they're gonna have to do a full conversion to him as a starter. Uh, and he's a very interesting starting pitching prospect and throw in the upper 90s, really good slider. A, a, a changeup that he was working really hard on before he got hurt. I, 
and I think that that conversion just requires a full commitment to it. it is, there's no Shohei Otani type thing happening here. There's no, it, I, I understand that everyone wants that kind of guy because it's exciting, but I don't think it's going to happen. The only way I could see him actually making his way back to being a position player is if he was like hurt again. Like if he blew out his elbow again or if like a shoulder went or something like that. And to be able to stay as a pro, he'd have to shift, switch back to hitting. And, and that's entirely, it's impossible. It's possible that could happen. Uh, but you know, it's also one of those things where if he hurts his arm again and can't pitch, then his default position is generally shortstop. And if that's the case, I don't know if you definitely want a guy whose arm is gone uh, playing short either. So it's, it's, I would call it incredibly unlikely that he's a position player ever again. Not, I'll never say never though, because he does have that fallback option. Uh, if he just, if he, for whatever reason, he just can't pitch and it just doesn't work out. But I, I would call it incredibly unlikely. So for the next question, and again, it's kind of hard to say outside of injuries with this particular one, but I'll, I'll kind of rephrase it as it was asked to us is outside of injuries, rank these three of when they will make their major league debut. Drew Waters, Michael Harris, Braden Shoemake. All right, Garrett, who are we going to see first? I think the safe bet's going to be on Drew Waters. I mean, he's already on the 40-man, so if there's an injury at the major league level, you know, especially with the way that um, Acuna's health is looking right now and he's kind of been in and out, you know, I mean, that's kind of like the only guy left on the 40-man. I don't – I mean, they have the ability with Ping at a movement of 60-man, add guys to the 40-man. Um, and I don't think that they're particularly um, interested in having him spend time at the major league level, but there's a fairly good shot that he'll get at least a taste of it up there this year. I don't think that's the case with the other two. Between the other two, the safe bet, I guess, would be on Braden Shoemaker. I don't think – it's kind of hard to – you know, that's kind of a – that's hard to say because we don't know the situation with Dansby Swanson, right? And if Dansby Swanson isn't here next year, then it's fairly likely that Shoemake is very early. And if he, if Shoemake, and if Swanson is here next year, then Shoemake probably may spend more time at the AAA level or may not even be in the organization anymore. So that's a bit of an interesting question. I would probably go Waters, Shoemake, Harris at this point. I feel like that's the safest way to go with it, but. I mean, they could do something crazy and call up Michael Harris in a month for all we know. I will say about Shoemake specifically on this list, I think you'll agree with me on this. He is – coming into this year, I would have told you no chance. He is not going to be, you know, ready for the major leagues come 2023. And he's slowly but surely kind of pushing me to think that maybe he does have a shot if they don't bring Swanson back to take over that role early next year. I'm not 100% confident in that yet, but he's done enough at this point to think that he might be able to handle it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Because the the the, the betting money should be on one of the two outfielders just because there's three outfield spots where an injury could happen. Does that make sense? Like if you're if you're there's only one shortstop on the team and now if Dansby's hurt I don't think that the Braves have any interest whatsoever in, especially if it's a long-term injury and Orlando Garcia just playing short for a long time. I just, I don't see that happening. Um, and I think that Brent, Brent Schumacher could very well get the call because one, he's a very good defender at short. He's, I mean, that's the one thing that I was surprised the most by in his development is that I, I was a little worried that, you know, we would be, you know, short arming, arming th- throws and he seemed kind of like an in-between short and second base type of guy, but he's looked really good defensively out there. And worst case scenario, you know, he has kind of that, he's a college guy, has kind of a pedigree of hitting from when he was in college, even though he had the bad year last year, 
you'd like to think that he's not going to be completely embarrassing at the plate. I still think that the if you're talking about ranking the likelihood, I, I think you're right. That in the general order is that Drew Waters being on the 40-man roster is the biggest consideration. Now, Drew hasn't exactly been able to play a ton uh, since returning from injury, and they've been those are getting kind of some planned dates off and stuff like that. But being on the 40-man roster, I think, makes that less likely that between the two, between Waters and Harris, especially since Harris has looked good in double-A. He has looked legitimately very good. But he's not playing so well that you feel like you have to promote him right now. Had kind of a down week last week. And when you're thinking about that in terms of roster consideration, things things like that, then maybe that kind of is a tiebreaker between him and Waters. Gives you a chance to at least see what Waters looks like in the event where you need to make a move. Waters has looked intermittently pretty good since returning from injury. I'm not sure exactly how much of that's going to stick. He's certainly a guy that's going to strike out a good bit. I wouldn't be shocked if Michael Harris put together a week or two where he starts forcing the Braves' hand in terms of you know either getting a Gwinnett or even maybe pushing a promotion to – uh, to the the big leagues. I will say this about the difference between double A AA and triple A. I think that that's very negligible. I think that the, the bigger difference is that Waters is on the 40 man roster and Michael Harris is not. I don't think that if, if they were both on the 40 man roster or they're both not on the 40 man roster, I think we're having an entirely different debate. I think that it's more likely that they like Michael Harris more. I think that Michael Harris brings more to the table and I think that he would be more likely. But because Waters is already on the 40 man, despite the fact that uh, making a 40 man slot is relatively straightforward and easy right now, I, I think that it's like more likely in, at this moment in time that Waters gets the promotion if it were to come to that. But I don't necessarily think that just because Michael Harris is a double A that that's the thing that's the, that, that would be holding him back there. So for our next question is a question about Darius Vines, a, prospect, a pitching prospect that we do like a lot. Uh, certainly has his own – has his warts. But uh, with Darius Vines, you all have talked – about him needing an extra tick or two in his fastball. I am vaguely familiar with driveline. Is that something that the organization will push him, push them towards in the offseason, or is that something he will seek on his own or something in-house? Garrett, talk to us a little bit about kind of the paths that guys take towards either adding velocity or kind of what what he would have to do this offseason in terms of, like, what options were available to him. Yeah, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one. Uh, I mean, it seems to be usually, especially with driveline specifically and outside organizations, typically the individual player does kind of seek that on their own. Now I would assume that that is conversations that they have, you know, they're not just going out and just doing it. That's conversations you have with the organization, with your development staff as a whole to kind of come to that conclusion. So, but I would assume that if Bynes were to do it, if that's what they wanted to do, he would probably seek that kind of on his own and do the work on his own. Uh, there, I mean, there obviously is guys that work in house on that type of stuff that are tweaking mechanics, trying to add velocity and stuff like that. Um, you know, with vines kind of being, it seems like their focus with vines is just kind of keeping that command where it is and teaching him off speed stuff. I, it doesn't look like they're putting a lot of emphasis on, Teach trying to unlock more velocity with him, and I don't know if that's a case of where they just don't really think that there is much more velocity with him, especially with him being an older player, or if it's a situation where they don't really think he needs it. Um, but I, I would, I guess, I kind of would like to kind of see what your perspective is on this as well. So, not players are all different, right? And you know, like for some guys, you know. A tweet, there's an obvious tweak to a mechanic, whether it be just evolving his lower body differently, getting, getting more on time, adjusting a release point, et cetera, et cetera. 
can pay big dividends with velocity. And, you know, that's what, when I interviewed Spencer Strider, it was a good example of like how he like broke down his, all of his mechanics and just basically redid everything. And he was able to find basically another three plus mile per hour on his fastball. And that was all the difference in the world to him, you know, with a ton of spin and things like that. The issue with vines and you hit on it is that this was already a guy who was a college, a college pick when he came out of the draft and he's already 24 and how, how much time would he have to really rework his mechanics to kind of get that extra velocity? I, I, again, driveline gets a lot of press because they're they're really good at marketing themselves. But there's a lot of pitching programs out there that you know talk about my, that work with bio work on biomechanics. That you know there's a lot of great pitching coaching out there. I don't want to necessarily say that that like driveline would be the only option for available to them. And more importantly, it does not seem like that that seems to be an emphasis for the Braves in his particular case. And we've seen Braves guys go to programs that certainly emphasize, you know, biomechanics and velocity, Kyle Muller, Tucker Davidson. Um, obviously Spencer Strider has a, a, a background in kind of doing a lot of that work as well. And they, they have a, a really good both pitching program in-house for the Braves, as well as kind of like affiliated doctors and pitching gurus that work with the organization. I don't want to necessarily say that they, like he doesn't have those options available to him. I think what they're more focused on is just, Making sure his breaking, like his, his, his secondaries are really where we're going to make or break him at this point. Uh, it doesn't seem like that there's much interest in trying to like, you know, make him a mid nineties fastball guy. Um, unfortunately there, it, that has been somewhat hit and miss. He's getting the whiffs that we want to see, but when he's missing in the zone, particularly with the fastball, bad things happen. He gave up three, I think it was three home runs the other night. Uh, and you know, again, they weren't with runners on base necessarily, but at the same time, you know, that makes things a little bit harder when you're having trouble keeping the ball in the yard, especially when you get to the major leagues, because, you know, in double A, when you make mistakes and you're only getting somewhat punished when you're big leagues, you can get yourself in real trouble, especially with some of the command issues that Vine said. And I think that that's for right now for him, his best fast forward is really refining that command and making sure at the very least that when he's, you know, getting swings and misses, it's out of the zone and, you know, he's making his pitches rather than serving up meatballs because you don't want to necessarily be a guy who's giving up home runs in the minor, in the minor leagues uh, because that doesn't necessarily portend well down the line when you're in the major leagues. So the short answer to your question is that I'm sure he has these options available to him and I would love to see him. I think he would be a much better pitching prospect if he had that extra velocity. Uh, it would just create more separation between the secondaries and I think it would just make everything a lot better. It just does not seem like that is a focus for him at this moment. Um, or at least something that he's made progress towards. We'll see what they end up doing with him going forward, but he, he is already 24. Maybe it's kind of one of those they don't feel like that they would, you know, it would make much sense to try to change anything now. Ultimately, he's just going to come out and refining his command, and right now it seems like very much a work in progress. Uh, one last question before we go to the break, Garrett, and it's actually another Michael Harris question, is any chance Michael Harris either has a very short stay or skips AAA altogether and goes straight to Atlanta in a month or so? Obviously, this is a very similar to the question we just talked about with the three guys mentioned, but we, this gives us kind of a chance to talk about where, we, where we're at with Michael Harris. So go ahead and just uh, kind of share your thoughts on where you think Mike's at right now and what do you think? Yes, I think a month might be a little bit too quick. Um, but I do, I mean, I do think that there is a chance that he skips AAA. I think that there is a small chance that he comes up this year. Um, I don't think that it's particularly likely, but if you, one, with injuries, and two, if Adam Duvall continues to struggle the way that he is, they're going to start looking for other options. And if you look at the other options that are available to them to play center field, it's Drew Waters and Michael Harris. And right now, straight up, 
I would trust Michael Harris more. And if you're looking at a short-term option, I don't think that they would go to Harris. But if they're looking at who are we going to go with for the remainder of the season, I think that they would give him a look. I don't think that that's going to happen within the next month. But if you come, you know, mid-July and Duval's still really struggling at the plate, I think that they're going to have – they're going to be forced to look at other options. And Harris is kind of – if he's hitting well, Harris would be an obvious um, solution in that situation. I, again, don't – I think it's more likely we see him next year. I would expect he's going to get somewhat of a shot to win the job out of camp next year. But – this year's probably not going to happen. It's it's so quick. I mean, you got to think that he's at like 30-something games above high A. Like, that's incredibly quick. It's very rare for them to call up guys that early. If anybody can do it, I would trust him to do it. But I don't think that they're particularly eager to get him to the major league level, start his service clock for what may be marginal upgrades at best. Yeah, and it's always worth mentioning too that like in an injury example where you like you need to make a decision quickly. Like again, let's just say that you know Adam Duvall gets really hurt, uh, Ronnie's out for a long period of time, something like that. Then maybe you're forced to make a different decision. But I think that in the case of like Duvall is just bad, <laughs> right? If that's if that's what if that's what we're looking at as the reasoning, I think it's more likely that the Braves look out of the organization and try to trade for somebody like they did last year. Uh, obviously, Alex Antopoulos has shown a propensity for being willing to do that. Uh, I don't think that they want to necessarily rush Michael Harris un- unnecessarily. I think there's a non-zero chance he, he debuts this year, but I think that it's more likely that it's because he forces their hand, that he's playing so well that they move him up to Gwinnett and he just keeps hitting and, you know, the Braves really need that extra bat or something like that. I think that's the most likely scenario. I think that if someone gets hurt, that if it's a short-term situation, I think Drew Waters is more likely to be a fit. And depending on when that injury happens, if it's a long-term thing, I think that maybe Drew Waters and then maybe trade – and if he – you know, depending on how well he's playing, either go with him or look outside the organization and making a trade seems more likely. Now, that said – I understand where you're coming from here with this question in that he's been playing really, really well and we're, we've seen the Braves be really aggressive with prospects in the past who have a lot going for him. And one of the things Michael Harris is going to put the ball in play. He's not going to strike out a lot. It's really, really good defense out there in center field has real power. It doesn't seem like the bright lights scare him in the slightest. So I understand it. And I don't think it's a completely crazy notion, but I don't think that he is forcing the issue. I know that he had his long, you know, on base streak and all that other stuff. And that, that's very, very impressive. But I don't, I don't think he's been so great at double A to like suggest that like he's just a lock to make it to the major leagues right now. Um, and I think that, you know, giving him that time to work through at bats, figuring out how opposing pitchers are adjusting to him and pitching to him and figuring out what he's going to be doing in those situations and actually giving him more chances to succeed rather than forcing an issue that might not necessarily need forcing. I think that's the best course of action right now. And again, it's entirely possible that he could skip, he could go wild for two or three weeks and, you know, all of a sudden the Braves absolutely need another bat and they bring him up. 
or, you know, an injury forces their hand and they decide to make a move off the roster if Drew Waters can't stay on the field or whatever. Like, those are all – these things really could happen. I don't think that, again, him being at Double A is the reason that he would not make his debut in the major leagues this year. I think it's more 40-man considerations and more just whether or not he's ready. And if he's not ready, then the Braves definitely shouldn't force it. Before we take a, our, our last few questions here, we're going to take a quick break to listen to our word from our sponsors. All right, Garrett, it's time to talk a little bit more about Spencer Schwellenbach. Uh, really, really interesting player uh, coming out of the draft last year. Was widely rumored to be the Braves' first-round pick. It gets to round one, and they end up picking Ryan Cusick. And then he just continues to not be getting picked. And then in round two, he drops to them. And the Braves snatched him up really, really quick and are very, very excited about it. And we start converting him uh, from a shortstop slash reliever to a full-time starter. Goes down and works out in Florida. Ends up getting a physical report, and his arm ends up getting sore. And it turns out that he needs Tommy John surgery. Uh all the word that we got at the time was that the repair, the type of repair he had, uh, had a shorter timetable for recovery uh, than than uh, regular Tommy John. So that was good news. And the timelines that I was hearing at the time was that the summer, this summer, was not a completely crazy notion of him returning. So that brings us to our question, which is, have you heard any updates on Schwellenbach's Tommy John recovery? Also, have you heard anything about him considering moving as a two-way player? We've already answered the two-way thing. It's just not going to happen. It's just not – go ahead and just let this – Disavow yourself of that of that happening. It's not going to happen. I understand that he played played in college. That doesn't mean he's going to be a, a two way guy. But we do want to try to give folks updates on what's going on with Schwellenbach. So Garrett, you have the con. Yeah, I mean, I other than what you said about you know maybe late summer type thing, I haven't really heard anything in particular about him. So what what I have seen and heard is that no setbacks before so far. Uh, I know that he is throwing. Uh, he's been doing flat grounds, long toss, things like that. I think that he may be starting to work a little bit off the mound. I don't think it's like a max effort type thing, but like he's kind of getting used to throwing off a mound. Um, I don't know exactly all the details. All I know is that everything seems to be going according to plan. Now, we are in the middle of May. I think that the month I heard back then was July is a possibility is when he starts a rehab assignment. Don't quote me on that because, again, we're talking about really uncertain timetables and, you know, they want to see, you know, how the the biggest thing with Tommy John, a lot of times is that the stiffness and like the flexibility in the arm that was repaired, and sometimes it just takes a while to get that stretched out again. Where like it's not, you know, you you don't feel like you're like throwing with like a tightly wound rubber band in your arm. Uh, it just it's super super stiff and like getting working through that. And I don't have any reason to believe that he's having any issues with that. But the last time I talked to him when I interviewed him, he's oh, healing was going great. He was. You know, he, he, he felt like he was, if anything, he was ahead of schedule. Hopefully that that sticks and hopefully when he, you know, you know, come, you know, next month or so, we're going to start hearing about, you know, he's throwing off a mound and he's, you know, they're starting to look at a timetable for a rehab assignment and things like that. I'm guessing that we're going to see him in July sometime in some capacity. Uh, I don't know exactly how aggressive they're going to be in terms of, like, is he going to be making starts? Is he just going to be doing relief for a while or anything like that? I have not heard a thing. I don't know if they've developed that plan yet because they want to see how that rehab is going. But from what my understanding is, is that rehab's going great. You know, he's starting to throw. He was starting to throw in April. I assume that he's starting to do some, you know, more work on the mound and, you know, kind of seeing where he is and, you know, again, doing all that physical rehab stuff that's really just not very fun. 
uh, all that, re- all that type of stuff. Just it, it's, it is quite painful. Uh, and people kind of forget that like they have to kind of immobilize their arm for a long time and your arm's in a weird position and it does not want to stretch out. It doesn't want to do those things after being basically, you know, locked up for a long time. So it just takes a while to build that strength back up, build that flexibility back up. But I, I, I would not be shocked if we saw him again this summer. Um, and as for the two-way player thing, stop asking. It's not going to happen. Uh, the next question is another Darius Vines question and is how close is Darius Vines to promotion? Uh, I don't think that he's the guy in that Mississippi ro- Mississippi rotation that's the closest to a promotion, but we'll go ahead and just entertain this for a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about Darius Vines and what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, what I've seen of him so far, it does not seem like his command is where it was last year. Um, and so that'll kind of be a – where that develops will be a big consideration based on kind of how – when he would get promoted. I would assume that he probably spends the entire season at AA – most guys really don't get promoted out of double a very quickly. Uh, it has to be an exceptional case for you to get less than like 20 starts at double a and even exceptional cases like guys like Mike Soroka got more than 20 starts at double a. It, it's very hard for them to promote guys quickly. Um, if anybody's going to get promoted out of that system, the first one would be Jared Schuster. Um, hundred yep. percent. He's not, not what I would have bet on either. Yeah. He's been fantastic this year. He already had a bunch of starts last year, double a, um, and he's just, I mean, he's been the best pitcher in that rotation. His command is fantastic this year. I, I think that he's getting fairly close. I still think that we'll probably see at least another month out of him at that level. But if he continues to throw up, you know, a one something ERA, they might move him quickly. I think past that, they might move Tarnock, especially being that he's on the 40 man. They might move Tarnock up before Vines. I think they're probably in fairly similar situations. I think. Tarnock's command has regressed a little bit this year. He had just isn't quite getting the strikeouts that he was last year, which last year Tarnock was ridiculous. So expecting him to do that again was a little bit much. But I, I think it's – if I had to guess, it would be Schuster, then Tarnock before Vines. But I would. it's not outrageous to think that Vines would get promoted this year, being that he's an older player. Um, and especially if he starts to command the ball. He's had a couple of games where he's gone into the seventh inning and – a couple of those times, you know, his last start, he went into the seventh inning and then he got hit up in the seventh inning fairly bad. But if he's commanding the ball like that and getting outs like that, they're going to push him a little bit quicker. But I don't think right now he's a guy that's overwhelming you in a way that you think, oh, yeah, he's ready for AAA. I don't think that he's quite ready to make that jump yet. Yeah, I think he just needs more work on his command. I will say that, and this is something we'll get to later, they feel like that a specific pitching coach would be good for him. Uh, that maybe working, uh, moving into AAA isn't the worst idea. But, you know, I, I think it's based purely on merit that Jared Schuster would be the first, the first guy to get the call, um, to AAA if they were kind of, if they were doing that. He's been excellent. The, the changeup looks really good this year. He's really commanding his face fastball well. Uh, and then, then it would go to Freddie Tarnock where he would be a guy that, again, already on the 40 man roster. Highly regarded prospect. If and I don't think that, and I think that you're right to kind of group those two in the sense that their their command has both regressed a lot. But in terms of pure stuff, Freddie Tarnock's stuff is just better than than Vines is. I think, um, uh, especially when they're, if they're both at peak, I think Freddie Tarnock is better. I think at medium they're close, and then I think Vines has the lower has the higher floor. Uh, when Tarnock is bad, he's really bad. But um, uh, I, I do like. What Vines brings to the table, I wouldn't be shocked if he got promoted. Uh, again, as a, as a guy who's already 24, I, there's certainly some merit to the idea. But 
Schuster already has experience at double A and then has been lights out this year. If again, we're going purely on merit. Uh, I would say that if there's a rotation spot that they want to give up at Gwinnett, that Schuster is probably going to get the nod, especially with that being a former first round pick and a college pick at that. I, I think that he's the guy. And in which case I, I wouldn't say that Vines is particularly close, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it won't happen this year. Um, Next question is about some international prospects. I'm a little bit surprised that Diego Benitez wasn't named in this in this question, but uh, maybe it's just kind of trying to get more information on guys. Uh, what are your impressions of Ambioris Tavares and Douglas Glaud? Gary, what are your kind of what were your kind of initial thoughts on these international signings? Uh, again, they're from two different classes, but you know who are who? Are, what are your kind of thoughts on those two? Yeah, so in Glaud's case, I don't want to really say much until we actually. Well, I mean, I guess in both cases, we kind of want to see him see them in action. But with Tavares, I mean, we saw him a little bit in spring training. We've He's been at extended spring and stuff like that before. So we kind of have at least an idea with him. With Glaude, uh I mean, he just signed. And we really don't really know what the guy, I mean, it seems like, you know, it's another solid, you know, outfield prospect that they got. And I'm excited to see him, you know, in games and see him play. Um Tavares, though, I mean, we, again, we saw him a little bit in spring training. You know, he's an athletic guy. He can, there's a lot of power potential there. He's a big guy. I mean, looking at him visually, even now, it seems to me, you know, the reports were, yeah, he's probably going to move up shortstop. It seems pretty obvious that shortstop is not in his position in the future. But I mean, I like the swing that we saw in spring training. There's a lot of potential there with the bat and I'm excited to see. I kind of, ex- I kind of had a hope that he was going to be in Augusta this year. Unfortunately, we did not get to see that. He's still young, you know, maybe he's a guy that they come, that comes up in, you know, June, July. Maybe he's a guy that just goes to the Florida Complex League this year, but I'm excited to see both of them in games. But especially Tavares. I mean, he's a guy that we've been kind of excited about for a while and kind of been waiting on and waiting to see him play. And it seems like we're finally getting to that point to where it's going to be very, very soon. Yeah, I, the with the reorganization of the minor leagues combined with not having a Dominican summer league team, I think sort of doomed our hopes. I, I had high aspirations that we were going to see Tavares in uh, in Augusta, but. Really, when you think about it, I mean, he hasn't played organized. He hasn't really played organized baseball yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I understand the move, and I think that the idea is, you know, go through extended spring, get him all the the coaching that he needs, and then you know, put him in you know Florida Coast League, see what happens. If he hits well, I would not be surprised at all if they moved him up to to Augusta. But overall, I I suspect that it might we might be waiting a little longer on him than we think. I do. I'm I'm with you. I took one look at him, the where he looks like right now. I'm like, there's no way he can stick it short. Uh, I don't think he can. I don't think he, he doesn't even look like a guy that can have the the actions to be able to stick there. I'm willing to be wrong about that, but I think he's a really uh, a fascinating position player prospect, especially since like there's kind of this mystery of like, so when are we actually going to see him play at all? Uh, he's going to be a guy that we're watching really closely wherever he debuts, whether that be if you know. I don't think that he's going. They're going to run him back in the Dominican Summer League once they actually have a team. I think he's going to be in the Florida Coast League, and he's going to be a guy whose lines we're going to be watching really closely and making some calls to figure out on. Uh, Douglas Lott is an interesting case because all the reports are is that the guy can hit. Uh, he really can turn on balls. Uh, was an important part of those kind of Venezuelan uh, junior national teams, but that he's fairly well physically maxed out. Now, when you have got kids like that who everyone's like, look, he's not getting any bigger, he's not getting any stronger than he is right now, I'll, He and he is a, somewhat of a shorter prospect in that regard. He's not like you know a 6'3 monster. 
But everything I've seen from him is that he looks like he's really physically well well filled out. It just comes down to then is the what his pitching his hitting approach is and you know his pitch recognition because if he's already physically maxed out, it's all about getting the most he can out of those physical gifts very quickly. He's like, you know, you can't get bailed out from just being like a, a, a mutant, right? A guy who can just hit the ball a mile just, you know, because, you know, he, he's like super genetically gifted. It doesn't sound like that's what the case is with Glaude. I think he's not to get the most out of his physical tools, but it seems like he's a good defender. He's just all around, like all of his tools play up. He seems like he has a, a, for his age, he has a good sense of what he needs to be doing on the field offensively and defensively. So I would not be surprised if, you know, Glaude was kind of a lower ranked international prospect, but I think that he might end up being one of those guys that impresses really, really quickly. It just comes down to how much of a ceiling he has. And I think he has a little bit more than people are giving him credit for. Um, again, with all the caveats is that we've only seen Tavares for a few play appearances in spring and we haven't seen Glaude at all in organized baseball. Again, that's just kind of how things work. So it'd be curious. It's kind of how things are handled with the Dominican summer league this year. And as well as kind of how they're going to be, how aggressive they're going to be with any of these guys, uh, including Benitez, who I think is really, really good. It's going to be the best project prospect of the three. And I do think he'll stick it short. Um, based on what we've seen anyway. So, uh, the next question is, other than power, what is the, w- another area where you would like to see Vaughn Grissom improve the most? Garrett, I already know your answer, so I'm gonna go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and let you have it. Uh, what do you think Vaughn needs to work on the most? Yeah, I mean, defensively, he's just not there yet. Uh, there is a question still about whether he's gonna stick a shortstop long term. Um, I'm, He's a ton better this year than he was last year, just in terms of his consistency overall. He's not making as many errors. Um, but he, he's still a guy that just, he makes some poor decisions in that infield. He's not quite, he's not a crazy fast guy, so he's not super rangy, so he has to get good jumps on balls, have, be positioned correctly, have good instincts on balls, and they're just, those are areas that he's not fully prepared for yet. Offensively, I don't really, I mean, even, you know, you talk about him needing to improve power. We would love to see that, but realistically, I mean, he's been above average power at every level. It's just not like mind blowingly good. I mean, even if his power doesn't improve a ton, if he hits the way he is, I really don't think that he's going to have any problem sticking because if you can hit the way that he hits, they're going to find a role for you because, I mean, you're already looking at a guy that's probably a 12 to 15 home run bat, and that's not great, but that's not horrible. That's not You're not talking about a guy like Ben Revere who's lucky to get one into the outfield. He hits a lot of extra base hits. Oh, the, he ben, has the, ben Re- the, the Ben Revere <laughs> reference. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he hits a lot of extra base hits. It's just not a lot of them go over the fence yet. And keep in mind, he's playing in some pretty brutal – Pitch, pitching friendly parks too. So some of that is an impact. He's hit some balls this last week. He hit a couple home runs last week that were some pretty impressive shots. I mean, overall, I think that his power is limited long term by a swing, but defensively, that's kind of where he needs to improve and just making better throws, making better plays, being more consistent. Um, offensively, if there's anything that I would say that he might want to improve, you know, occasionally he can get a little bit aggressive on good sliders outside that's literally every single young prospect ever like that's not that kind of goes without saying those guys used to work on that guys at that level are not really prepared to handle a good slider outside you see him get fooled on that sometimes but i mean he's a really really good hitter yeah you and i are in agreement here i i i think he can hit i I like the way that he works the ball the other way i think he's 
you know, sometimes it feels like I wish he would stop settling for the opposite field ground ball single or line drive single, uh, that he just kind of lines over there, doesn't really, doesn't really drive as much as I would like. But th- th- we know that there's some pop in that bat. Now the question is, is this the defensive home? I- I'll say this, shortstop is very iffy for me. Um, I think it's possible that he could say it's short. I'm not convinced that that's where his home is. I will say that I'm pretty convinced that he shouldn't be a third baseman. I don't think he has the arm for over there, and the offensive profile is a lot tougher over there for I think for a lot of people, and for me specifically, I, I worry that the arm wouldn't be isn't quite both strong and accurate enough. Uh, I think if he was trying to throw hard enough to make the plays from third to first, that we would start seeing a lot more throwing errors out of him. I don't think he has that kind of arm. Uh, so. If he makes a move off shortstop, I think it's more likely that either he moves over to second or they try to figure out a spot in the outfield or something like that. So I, I don't – defensively is where his biggest question is. Um, and, you know, the, the bat would certainly play at second base, and so that wouldn't be a question. Right now he's an okay defender at short. I would like to see him make some improvements there. And other than that, just show off the power a little bit more. But, I mean, this is a hitting prospect that we like a lot. He'll certainly have some games where he's not particularly great. But it seems like even in games where, like, his line will be, like, 0 for 3 with a walk, it'll, like, ignore the like the, the sack fly that he almost got out or, you know, reaching on an error because he, he was, you know, hustling down the line that forced a bad throw and, you know, drove in a run. And those aren't things that necessarily show up in the box score. He impacts games at the plate a lot. Yeah. And... That's that's the one thing I like about him is that he's always kind of in the mix. You know, he's he's always a guy that's kind of like in the thick of when you know the Rome's doing stuff, even if it doesn't necessarily show up in his box score uh, as much as some other guys, uh, especially lately like Justin Henry Malloy who had that crazy five for five game the other day. Uh, that was pretty wild. One last question, and it is a coaching question. We don't get qu- qu- questions about coaches all that often. This question is uh, from a long time. Uh, Talking chop slash battery power commenter. Uh, <laughs> it feels like Mike Baroth deserves a call up to Atlanta. Do you agree? And why is your answer yes? Garrett, it is time to preach the gospel of Mike Baroth. Take it oh, away. Well, well, I know you I, – I, we both agree on that. I mean that, yes, he's done a great job with these young players in terms of being able to – he seems like he's one of the few guys in the system that have really been able to take guys – forward in their command and that's kind of been an issue top to bottom for them for a few years now is guys kind of stagnated command wise he's done a really good job you know we've seen it with Kyle Wright especially of being able to get guys and improve their ability to work on the corners and attack the zone he's been fantastic I would if he's not in Atlanta after this year, I don't think that he'll be in the organization. I think he's done too good of a job and someone, unless he just really wants to work for this organization, someone is going to snipe him for an MLB job. He's that good. Uh, I don't expect him to stick around here long if he doesn't get that opportunity. Um, and he's just not a guy that I would want this dude to lose. I think that he's probably overall a better, I mean, he's definitely an overall um, better guy than what they have at the major level. And, Losing really the best pitching coach in the system is not something that you want to do. I mean, they, he, he's a guy that they need to give that opportunity soon in some way because they don't want to sacrifice. They've lost a lot of guys lately. I mean, they've lost Llewellyn. They lost Dan Meyer. They're 
There's well, Llewellyn of... retired. Let's be right. clear about that. Right, it's he not retired. Like Llewellyn got snagged from somebody. Right, but... but I'm saying in terms of you know they've lost a lot of really talented pitching coaches the last couple of years, and losing him on top of that, I mean that would be another hit to that system that they really don't don't want to take. I don't want to see them lose him. I think he's a fantastic pitching coach, and I hope they do whatever it takes to retain him. Well, yeah, they've lost guys in uh, player the player development side too, where like you know, like in terms of like pitching coordinators and, and then you know, obviously all the turmoil between you know who's actually in charge of the minor league system and who's in charge of player development, et cetera, et cetera. I, I I've covered that pretty extensively in the past, and you know, obviously losing Dan Meyer was brutal for me. I think that he's one of the best minor league coaches, period. And you know, I'm thrilled that he's getting an opportunity to get promoted. But we'll see what happens in terms of, you know, what opportunities he gets down the road. I'm with you. Uh, I think that he deserves, both deserves and needs to get a promotion to the, the major leagues. Here's what I know. I know that when pitching prospects get to Mike Moross, that he always finds ways to, at very, at the very least temporarily, make them better. And very often making them much better. Uh, make, you know, just really good at like kind of, Forcing them to find areas where they need to be consistent, giving them that consistency. Um, you know, put in a lot of work with Kyle Wright. It seemed like that when Kyle Wright was in his hands, he was doing good work. And then when Kyle left him, uh, up until this year, that's when things went awry. I, you know, you see guys that have been in his care just continually, like, wow, his, these AAA numbers look really, really good. You know, he's, you know, you know, they're commanding their pitches. Wow, they're really improving these things. It looks like he's really getting consistency. I know for a fact that major league players who have looked for answers when they were struggling have not, well, I wouldn't say they didn't go to the, the major league staff, but they went to Mike for another set of eyes and worked with them, you know, just after games or on off days or whatever. And that they came back and were better or had clearly found at least an answer to some of the things that were bothering them. That has absolutely happened. It is also true that on times when I have been shouting into the void that, you know, I think that Mike Moroth needs to be a part of this major league coaching staff. Now, my argument has been often that Mike Moroth needs to be the, the Braves pitching coach and that Rick Kranitz needs to be turned into like a minor league pitching coordinator or a roving instructor or something like that because I don't think that in terms of the, the – you're getting – I think that certainly Kranitz has value in terms of, you know, his ability to kind of relate to pitchers and, you know, kind of – Honing in on some basic things. I don't think that in terms of, especially when you're like talking about strategy and making changes and, you know, working on consistency with mechanics and things like that. I don't think he's the guy for that. And I think that he would be better served in a less impactful role. But I still think that Mike Moroth could be a really important part of a major league coaching staff as maybe an assistant pitching coach bullpen coach, whatever, just have him around for that when guys are struggling or when you need an extra set of eyes on pitchers that he is looking at these major leaguers because that is a big deal. Because I know for a fact that when I was shouting into the void about having him in the major league coaching staff that multiple players, major league and minor league, reached out to me privately and said that none of us can say anything publicly, but they couldn't agree with me more. So when you have the pitchers in your organization, both seeking out his help and wishing he was in the major leagues. He has a track record that he has. <laughs> and you have a need at the major league level, at least in my mind, to have a set of eyes like that. 
combine you just you need to make that move. You need to have him on your major league staff in some form or fashion. Uh and I think there's a genuine concern on a lot of people's minds that he would ultimately get a job elsewhere. Uh, I don't think that he's just going to be a triple-A pitching coach for much longer. I think that he's going to he's going to want more. And whether that means that the Braves maybe maybe the Braves giving him a managerial position uh in the organization is that enough? I don't really know. They seem to really like the guys that they have other than double-A which seems to be kind of like the defense against the dark arch job where they can't seem to keep a manager there for very long. Beyond that, you know, they need, is he going to want opportunities as a manager? Is he going to get an opportunity on a major league coaching staff somewhere? My guess is that someone is going to come looking for him because he's done a lot of good work and he's going to start getting more press for that and more, and there's going to be more understanding of what he can give to an organization. And the Braves need to understand what they have as an asset and hopefully bring him into the fold of the major league level. So hopefully that changes. I don't know if that will. I don't, but overall, I'm a big Mike Moroth fan. I think he does a really, really good job working with guys, and you know, hopefully he gets an opportunity at the big league club because he is a very, very good. Uh, Garrett, anything else you want to talk about before we let everyone go? Yeah, um, I just want to make sure you told me that I'm that I'm. Uh, you held a gun to my head. You said I have to tell people to make sure to read our minor league recaps. So go read our minor league recaps. Or yep. Eric won't yep. let me out of the basement. I would like to eat this week, so please let me. So please go. Read you were recaps. chewing when we were getting ready to do the <laughs> intro. Don't even tell me that. Like you didn't get a chance to eat. Yeah. Um. And but for real, keep an eye on recaps, but keep an eye on our draft coverage. I mean, we recently had a mock draft go up that we covered and we're going to really start kicking that up soon. I mean, this is getting towards the part of the year that we're going to really have a lot of draft coverage and we're looking forward to doing that and being prepared. We're going to have a lot of information for you guys this year. It's it's we're getting close to that middle of the year where things get really busy for us. So there's going to be a lot going out soon. Um. And on another note, um. Next week, we will have a note, just a quick note. Next week, we will have a new number two prospect because Spencer Strider will be graduating soon because he's. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, our list is going to look even more of a different. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're going to have a new Spencer Strider has, uh, officially is officially going to graduate from prospect status, which is absolutely absurd because a year ago we didn't, we barely knew who he was. Yep, he had, he'd only made a couple starts in low A. We we're like, wow, this guy throws hard and he blasted his way to the major leagues and with no looking back. And I, I can't be more thrilled for him, uh, even though it kind of hurts me that we don't get to do major, minor league recaps with him anymore. Um, appreciate, appreciate all the plugs, Garrett. You're allowed to eat tomorrow. If you want to make sure that you don't miss a single episode of Road to Atlanta, all you need to do is subscribe to the Battery Power Podcast feed on whatever podcast purveyor you choose. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you use, it is incredibly likely that we're listed on it. Not only do you get this podcast, you get the flagship Battery Power show hosted by the great Brad Roland, occasionally co-hosted by myself, otherwise co-hosted by Scott Coleman or special guests. Um, you will also get the Daily Hammer hosted by the great Sean Coleman, which is kind of like your daily updates is kind of what's going on in Braves land in terms of, you know, the night before. Just a quick 10, 15-minute podcast usually to get you all caught up on your Braves news going into your day. We appreciate all the support on the podcast. You guys have been great about making downloads. Make sure you tell friends. Make sure you leave five-star reviews. All that stuff allows us to grow the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, we'll see you on the road.